everyone, it's the week of August 16th, 2021, and welcome back to another episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and in what is now starting to feel like a little, kind of like a refreshing return to a little bit of normalcy, at least for us, we once again have the full cast with us today. Sitting right next to me here at the Boulder Group Petto is pro mechanic, Zach Edwards. Zach, you and Ruth recently bought a house? We did. How's the painting going? Oh, it's so much fun. Love, it's love purple. painting. Oh, they're not even, the they're not even painting the outside. This yeah, is all inside painting. painting inside. Right? Mm-hmm. Super fun. Barney the Friendly Dinosaur would feel very <laughs> at home it's, in their house. It's definitely purple. <laughs> Classic mountain house. Also joining us from Sydney, Australia is what I'm guessing is an increasingly claustrophobic feeling apartment in is tech editor Dave Rome. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm, good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not too claustrophobic. I mean, by Sydney standards, my my 95 meter apartment is, is massive. So I'm feeling quite fortunate to not have less. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. I guess it's all relative. How it's many meters yeah. do your tools take up? They, they actually live off site. Oh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's not enough space in here for those. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and just down the road, so to speak, in Durango, Colorado, is our illustrious editor in chief, the Hammer, Haley Fretz. <laughs> the illustrious Hammer. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's me. I'm in Durango. It's great. I went for a mountain bike ride today mm-hmm. again. Good for you, under blue skies, we're still kind of hazy over here. Yep. Anyway, on today's show, we are going to discuss the pros and cons of going outside of the big three for your next group set. Some recent updates to Strava and how it relates to bike thefts, a different take on buying used cycling apparel, the surprisingly compelling performance argument for $30 socks. And as always, we will wrap up this week's show with a round of Ask a Mechanic, where we answer your burning questions on bicycle repair and maintenance. All right, first up, anyone listening to this show who's tried to buy just about any type of bike part over the last few months has probably noticed that no one has anything. This obviously isn't a new development, and it's something that we have mentioned multiple times here on the, uh, in the past year and a half on this podcast. However, one byproduct of the situation that we predicted a while back was that parts shortage from major brands would probably nudge people towards smaller brands that they might not have otherwise considered. One of those brands is Microshift, a brand you might not have heard of before, but they've actually been around for a pretty long time. Uh, Dave, you recently published a review of one of their, I guess what they're calling their top-end Advent X one by group set. What is it, and what did you think of it? And is it actually a competitor to any of the group sets from the big three? All the questions. Uh, All the questions. Yeah, so it's Advent, Advent X is, yeah, it's, as you said, it's their top-end group set. It's a 10-speed group built around a 11 to 48-tooth cassette range. Uh, and it's intended for uh, a single single chain ring. So it's a, it's a one by group set. Uh, and basically it's a mini group. So you get a shifter, you get a, der- a rear derailleur, and you get the cassette. And then the 10-speed the chain and the um, suitable narrow wide chain ring uh, are your choice. So yeah, it's very good value. It's 200. The, the version I tested, I tested the drop bar version. So it comes with left and right brake levers with a, a shifter on the right-hand side. Uh, US $287 for the cassettes, the rear derailleur, and the shifters included. 
Um, yeah, there's there's some there's some quirks like the the shifters for the drop bar version. It's mechanical brake only, so there's some limitations there. But it's it's quite a cool option for updating an old bike. So just to recap, that's two hundred eighty nine dollars total. Mm-hmm. So you do still have to add, like you said, your own crank and your own chain and brake calipers. Uh, so it's not a complete group set. But it's that not. said, it is still a pretty phenomenal value. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that value would really mean anything, however, if it didn't work very well. And I believe that you said that it actually shifts pretty well. It does. I mean, you're, you're talking about it 10 gears, which are making up a range of 11 to 48. So there's some big gaps in the cassette. So it's never going to be super smooth because the chain's having to make some pretty big jumps. Uh, but that considered, the derailleur is actually impressively good quality. It's got a nice clutch uh, engagement system on it. And uh, yeah, it's... It shifts well, uh, but the the shifter is kind of the the limitation, um, at least in the drop bar format. I didn't get on with the ergonomics, and it felt a little plasticky in terms of the shifter. With the mountain bike shifter, if you're putting this on a mountain bike, it's actually pretty good. So yeah, it's it's certainly an option if uh, if the budget is restricted. I would certainly be considering it. Zach, have you had any experience with the micro shift stuff in here? Not the specific group set, but I've worked on a fair amount of bikes with with micro shift stuff as well as some other smaller companies like this. And I'd say like, yeah, it always it always works, but it's I wouldn't say that it works well. It's always a bit clunky and like like Dave said, a bit plasticky feeling. Um like if it let's say if I was in a budget group or trying to build a bike for a budget and looking for a group set, I would rather have like the previous generation Shimano 105 or something and have a double and it'd be a similar price point, but it actually shifts smoothly rather than, rather than this. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. Cause this one is quite a bit cheaper than one Oh five. It's more like, I guess if you're comparing new for new, it's like Tiagra pricing, but then it's got one buy. So you kind of have to really want the one buy functionality. Uh, and then in that case, it's, it's quite a unique proposition, but yeah, if you're, if you're comparing it to a two buy system, then it's, yeah, your, your options are a bit more open and a bit more confusing, maybe. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's also worth noting that this isn't, you know, this is uh, Microshift's top end stuff. So you, you can get cheaper again. They got nine speed stuff with a wide range one bike cassette. So, uh, yeah, th- it really is a cool option. And uh, I know a few people have put this on like their kids' bikes, for example, which is quite neat. So, th- I guess that was giving me my question. It's like, what is, what's Microshift's market here? Are they, shooting for super cheap oe is that what they're trying to do are they actually trying to get people to buy this stuff like aftermarket because the aftermarket proposition i mean it's just it's just hard to get anyone to buy anything aftermarket that's not from the big brands right like what's the what's the goal here it's 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 both they they apps they actually do have some oe um partners that they've got like for example i saw a cannondale topstone had advent x on it um there's a few other big names that are using these groups on some bikes to hit sort of like a price point lower than like shram apex would be able to achieve uh so it's you know sort of very entry-level bikes that they're then able to put a very wide range one by group set on uh, but yeah, it's also an aftermarket. They're absolutely pitching it for aftermarket sales. But that in that case, they their drop bar shifter kind of seems to be like the the forgotten child. They're they're absolutely more pushing the the mountain bike shifter, and that's where they've they've put their efforts. Which I think makes sense, just because in the drop bar space, you do run into so many patent landmines as far as you know not crossing over with something that Shimano or SRAM has done. Because I guess the downside 
one of the biggest downsides of the microshift stuff is, like you said, Dave, with the ergonomics of the levers, they are quite different than what you see from anybody else. Um, and that seemingly is by necessity just because they can't mimic someone else's design. Um, in the case of these levers, you had two separate buttons that are sort of stacked one on top of the other. Like, you know, one lever is kind of up toward the hood and the other one's kind of down closer to like the, the tip of the brake lever. And then they actually, um, Microshift also has another range that is Shimano compatible. I mean, these Advent bits are, we should mention, are proprietary to um, Microshift as far as the cable pull ratio, but they have other Shimano compatible bits, but even those have a shifter mechanism that is not really similar to anything out there. I guess it's kind of similar to Campagnolo with that thumb paddle as far as where that's positioned, sort of, but but even then, they, they've had to go with things with, with setup that are, that are quite different, and seeing as how... Well, basically all the good setups were taken, so they kind of had to just go their own way. But that all being said, as I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you are trying to build something up and you absolutely cannot find anything and you're just trying to get something going at least, this does seem at least to be a, you know, at least a reasonably viable option, maybe even if it's a stopgap until you can get something that you really want. They should try and buy SRAM's double tap since they're not using it anymore. To have instead of having a weird drop bar layout, like just buy that patent and do double tap. Oh, that would be a really interesting we'll just, idea. Or we'll just do what Sensor, which is a brand sold on Alibaba, does, which is just just use it. <laughs> yeah, just and, then, <laughs> and then make sure you don't have a legal entity outside of China. Right, right. Yeah, totally fine. <laughs> Come after us anyway. We dare you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really interesting proposition, though, Zach. Just yeah, I mean, Stram's not using it anymore. Yeah, I mean, they're they are clearly in the process of seemingly kind of abandoning double tap more or less and if they were to just license that out to somebody like what if someone else were to pick up the cable actuated drivetrain torch where sram just decided to abandon it all for it i would approve so cute maybe yeah. maybe they can just sell it to ratio very very curious anyway moving on to strava Strava, the ride logging mega service that everyone knows about, uh, they recently rolled out a new update that includes a bunch of new features like color-coded map tracings that show you at a glance things like you know, where your heart rate or power output was at a particular point in the ride. Um, you, know, you have the ability to now hide metrics like power and heart rate from followers. There's a new private notepad section where you can record notes on a ride that aren't visible to others. Uh, but given the big spike in bike thefts that is seemingly happening worldwide, uh, from what I can tell, the thing that most caught my eye in the update is Strava's uh, changes to the privacy zones. So you've always been able to prevent people from seeing exactly where you live uh, just by setting up certain, you know, it's basically sort of like a geofence kind of thing. Uh, but now you can set up the app to hide a full mile or 1.2K uh, from the start or finish of every ride by default, no matter where you are. Or you can hide the map entirely so that people have no idea where you are in general. This has always been a good idea that I'm shocked that Strava doesn't have set up sort of as a default anyway, um, just because it is so easy for someone to just look around and check, check around on Strava to see who is riding in your general area, where they're starting their rides from, where they're ending, where they basically live. You can basically trace a lot, of, a lot of these rides straight to their garage. And then for a lot of these riders, you know what they're riding too. So Strava, again, seemingly, my guess is that most of the people who are listening to this podcast probably use it, but there have always been these big security concerns. And this update 
I think does a good job of addressing some of them. But um, my question is, what else should people consider doing if they are concerned about people following their activities online so that they don't get robbed later? I mean, I feel like if you care that much, you just have your thing on private other than for friends. But a lot of people seem, well, even if they're friends, they're like... Like my you, friends aren't going to come steal my bikes. True. Your friends are not going to come steal your bikes. But if you have to approve every follower on Strava, I think it is then sort of reliant on you to make sure, one, that you are only approving friends that you know, two, that you are only approving accounts that are def- that actually really are your friends and not some sort of pirate account that someone's put together. Um, but three, this is clearly the sort of thing where people are taking advantage of people's needs to kind of broadcast everything that they're doing online as social media has sort of conditioned a lot of people to do. Um, but in the case of Strava, when, if you don't have these things set up, then like I said, people can literally see exactly where you are and what sort of bike they're about to steal. Right. I mean, I feel like because the default is everything is just fully public and I feel right. like the default should be fully private. some level of privacy and then go in and how to select how much, how much you want other people to see, I guess. I mean, there are lots of fun little neighborhood segments as I leave my house. So it's fun to become the local legend of those. <laughs> <laughs> Especially now, because you're sort of you know, checking out a new hood. Yeah, exactly. Zach's just all about the local yep. legends. That's all he wants all yep. the time. That's all. He just does the same ride every day, <laughs> just to be local legend of every segment yep. along it. Well, and now he's doing them all on your new bike that you're not riding. <laughs> I know. I haven't even ridden it yeah. yet. God damn it. <laughs> it's going to need a new set of tires by the time you get back here to ride that thing. I've ridden it. Ridden it twice. Uh, you know, like my whole role on this podcast is tangents, right? Let's hear it. Yes. So I would yes. like to, I would like to take us on a tangent. Go ahead and take us on I'm a tangent. Away. I am, was just glancing over at a, a story that everybody who's listening to this podcast should read, which is a gallery of Ashton Lambie's, uh, the first, the first pursuit bike to ever go under four minutes happened to be ridden by Ashton Lambie. I would say, um, guess what his, guess what, guess how much pressure he had in his tubulars, One, in his Vittoria tubulars. 175. I was going to say something like 160. Up. What? Yeah. 180. Up. 205. Up. What? 220. So the max on the tire is 15 bar, 215-ish PSI. And he was running both front and rear at the max. I mean, he's a, not a small dude. 215 yeah. PSI. Well, I mean, the track, though. This must have been a really like, smooth track. Like when... Like, I mean, so I tangent, my partner, Ruth, she was on the track for a long time. And so I would hang out at the track a lot. So under understatement of the, of the millennium, she was an Olympian yes, on the track. Okay. Yes. So like, so we would go to LA and ride the track there and they, she's much, much smaller than Ashton and they would run like, yeah, anywhere between 160 and 180 usually. So that's not that crazy, crazy. but it also depends it's on the track. Like, me. like He's in August Calientes, which I've, I mean, I've not ridden it, but I would assume with that pressure that it's a pretty smooth track. And you have some wind tracks that are pretty bumpy that you would run a little bit less pressure at. I mean, it's known to be the world's fastest track, right? So it's got to be pretty smooth. But anyway, I apologize for the tangent, but that is a crazy, crazy PSI number. Go check out Ronan's story. Team Tube Inside. Well, Team Tube Inside. <laughs> and back, back, back to the Strava thing. Had Ashton been running a Garmin or Wahoo or whatever GPS computer and recorded his ride on Strava and automatically set up his privacy zone, 
there would be a whole lot of nothing on that record. <laughs> You'd basically just see a big gray circle. In a, an excellent, is that a Reese, an unsegue, a Reese? I don't know what that is. Uh, return to what on earth we were talking about? An yes, untangent? What's the, what's the opposite of tangent? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway. Track is cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Strava, thank you for the updates. They do look pretty neat. Please, though, maybe consider setting those enhanced privacy features to being on by default and not optional still because people's bikes are still getting stolen out of their garages. And I would like that to stop. And I think you are probably playing a little bit more of a role in this than, you would, than, than we would like. You could do what I do, which is just don't use Strava. Um, or or maybe what not, I do. Maybe not just the not best ride, option. But yeah. yeah. Or do what I do and just not ride your bike anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's how you keep your bike safe. Yes, yes. And, and yeah. in pristine condition. That's how, that's how my freshly waxed chains are always freshly waxed. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that is the best way to prolong the life of your drivetrain. Yep, indeed. Don't it, use it. Right, and, and just don't use it. And you, if you measure the lifespan in terms of time and not usage, then they last forever. It's great. It does, yeah. Yeah, well right. done. On to happier news, uh, Velagio just kicked off a program called Renewed, where they take returned, damaged, or otherwise less than perfect cycling clothing, fully clean and repair or refurbish it to supposedly like new condition, and then they sell it at heavily discounted rates through its website. Um, it's a partnership with a company called Renewal Workshop, and uh, Renewal Workshop actually specializes in this sort of thing, um, and already works with a whole bunch of well-known brands like Perlazumi, Prana, Pottery Barn, uh, New Balance and a whole bunch of other ones. As an example of the discounts, one of my favorites in the Velocio line, uh, the Hot Weather Radiator jersey. Uh, Zach, you used to sell Velocio clothing, didn't you? Yeah, I had some here for a while. Oh, okay. Ran out of space. Um, <laughs> anyway, that Hot Weather Velocio, uh, that Hot Weather Radiator jersey uh, normally sells for $139 US, but through the Renewed program, you get it for $84. So it's not quite half off, but it's not far off from that either. And it seems like an especially good deal if you are trying to get top-end kit for not top-end prices. Well, we've been talking a lot about sustainability here at Cycling Tips in the cycling world a lot lately, and seeing as how most cycling clothing is basically just a glorified plastic bag, uh, I personally think it's really cool that's, uh, that something like this pops up. And admittedly, some companies like Asos and Rafa, they already offer in-house repair service for crash damage, but as far as I know, I don't recall them actually offering repaired items for sale. Um, I would imagine the, the logistics for this sort of thing are probably pretty challenging, but I would love to see more brands offer something like this, especially since if you have someone like the likes of Patagonia, um, if they're able to do something like that at their scale, then it should be possible at smaller scales, I would think. Yeah, we saw, we saw a very similar thing uh, launch with Apajura, the UK-based um, bikepacking bags, uh, a few, maybe a couple months ago. Uh, very, very similar program. And even then they were hinting at maybe, uh, working with Velocio, um, trying to work out some stuff and maybe trying to be a, a repair center for such. So this was, this is on the, on the tables, on the cards, but, uh, it is very cool to see. And, and I think we're probably at a point where other brands will feel pressured to actually follow just purely from a perception point of view, even if they don't think there's, there's money to be had in it. I think it's, it's an important thing to do. And I think a number of brands won't want to be seen as not doing their part to, for, for consumers and for the environment. So yeah, I think someone like Velocio, it's, it's, you know, it's a small initiative, but I think it will make a big change. Yeah. I mean, the selection of items that they have in their renewal 
page on the website is pretty small. I mean, it's very limited models, very limited in terms of sizing and colors, that sort of thing. But it's it's still a pretty decent handful of stuff. Um, and yeah, Dave, it's funny that you mentioned that Apidura program because I'm actually going to have them on the podcast uh, maybe as soon as next week. We'll see. Depends on the schedule. Uh, but we're actually going to have Apidura on the podcast to talk about just that program. So that'll be cool to hear about in more detail. Um, we are seeing some some changes on this front in general in the apparel scene. So Kaylee, I know that you, know, you also got some Rafa mountain bike clothing uh, and they sent some samples to me as well. And one of the things I noted that was really cool was that they included like sort of self-stick patches with, uh, with the clothing in case you crashed and tore a hole in it or something like that. Um, actually, a few years ago on Cycling Tips, we did publish an article talking about how to have uh, some cycling clothing repaired if you did crash and wear through, you know, wear a hole in your Lycra or something like that. Um, and, well, I have to wonder how many people out there are just repairing their own stuff at home. Um, you know, like I have a, I have a Pearl Izumi long sleeve mountain bike jersey that I bought not too long ago that I actually really like. And I had a crash when I was in the bike park a few weeks ago and it's definitely got some holes in it now in a few spots. And you know, my first instinct was, ah, oh, it's trash now. I'm just going to throw it away. And then looking at it, I was like, eh, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Maybe I can stitch it up. Um, but again, I suppose it's the sort of thing. I mean, if you absolutely need to have super pristine clothing all the time, then maybe it's not a good idea to have stuff repaired or maybe it doesn't appeal to you. But I'd imagine that if I were to spend a half hour or so with some needle and thread, I can, I'm probably going to be able to do at least a half decent job repairing that thing. And I'll, I'm probably still going to wear it. Or at the very least, I'll donate to someone else who will wear it. I mean, it's way better than just going into the bin. Totally. I just wear stuff with holes in it all the time on my, on my mountain bike. <laughs> I mean, it... it <laughs> It it does it does prompt people to give you a little bit more room, right? Is isn't that <laughs> yeah, like, the, I'm not going anywhere near that guy. Yeah, it's like the old <laughs> adage in road racing or something. Like if you see a guy show up to an event whose whose kit's all shredded up already, like he's oh, you gotta stay as far away from that guy as possible. Thirty-three thousand dollars. That's how if you if if Ashton Landy had to buy all the stuff on his bike at retail, that's how much it would have cost. Yet Sounds another, right. yet another tangent. Does that include the skin suit? <laughs> Probably a lot of it is custom that's that just you the can't bike. even buy. That's just the bike. Yeah. That's $8,500 for the handlebars. Yeah. Wow. Like, I don't think the cranks that he's using you can even buy yet. Probably not. I, I just love that we were talking about holds in old cycle clothing, and then we switched to an $8,500 handlebar used for four minutes. Well, again, <laughs> Kaylee, Kaylee is the king of tangents. Remember? I mean, like, also, this bike it's, you use, can you, like, you can buy the normal Argon 18 frame. But this one has like the team edition, the super narrow fork and the zip wheel that's super narrow hub spacing as well. Like I don't know if Very you can fancy. buy that stuff. So mm, the price, not. price is probably higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, I apologize for the tangents, but uh, this record happened a couple hours before we recorded this episode and Ronan filed it right before we started the episode and I had to get it on the internet. So I've only been really half paying attention to this episode so far. Mm. I what apologize to what my fellow hosts. What <laughs> we can just talk about track bikes the whole time. That's totally fine. <laughs> it's some crazy stuff. Uh, Ronan is nicknamed the things at the end of these handlebars, the pinky grips. Oh, oh. Which is fun. Yeah. Pinky grips. <laughs> anyway. Because you can't have hand grips out that far. No, UCI, you, well, yeah, because you got to like, it, it, it's, yeah, anyway. Yeah. UCI rules about where you can put your hands, basically. What if you had something yeah. in your glove? Or in your hand that you sort of were able to like click into the end of your handlebar that was 
essentially a, an extension that just wasn't measured initially by the USI, by the UCI commissary at the beginning of your event. I'm sure they would, that would be outlaw cheating. that pretty quickly. <laughs> I feel like, well, that might be like a one-shot deal. Well, yeah, you, it's one of those things you can do Because you have to stand and start in the base bar. And then See, like, like this, lo- this was the mistake. In. Right, it's true. This is the mistake that the, was the Danes, right? With the tape on their shins, yeah. right? They made this mistake at the Olympics where they, they should have saved it left the, the tape off until the yeah, final. Use it in yep, the final. Right? It, yeah, dumb. Silly goose. Like, oh, we're all tired from the previous two rounds and now we all have knee injuries. Indeed, tape it indeed. Uh huh. Speaking of little arrow enhancements around your ankles and shins, this is a perfect segue, as a matter of fact. It's almost like we planned that, except we didn't really. Um, but since we're on the subject of cycling apparel, Silka, seemingly the masters of marginal gains, uh, Silka has launched some new socks, socks that promise aerodynamic gains that aren't actually all that marginal, if you believe their data. Um, so if you take the company at their word, the new Aero socks can save as much as 12 watts at 50k an hour. So basically TT speeds. Um, the socks do this supposedly by adding these raised like chevron things at the sides of your ankle. Um, Silka calls them turbulators. Uh, they're said to introduce basically a turbulent region of air basically behind your ankle, essentially. So you sort of create like this, like this virtual airfoil. Dave, you're pulling a face here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, all I can think about right now is um, from the company that brought you computer mounts that look like cocks, we have socks. <laughs> oh, that is terrible. I, that is terrible. I, Dave, I avoided Josh making, will never forgive you for that. I just want to say that. I know. I avoided making dick jokes the entire time we talked about this in the regular podcast. Yeah. Uh, and then you just went and ruined it. Just I'm like sorry. that. <laughs> well, I can be edited out. Leave it, leave it to Dave. Nope. Leave it to Dave. Leave it in. Uh, yep. Anyway. I asked, anyway. I, well, because, okay, so here's the thing. The socks are ribbed. And I, like, how? For pleasure. I just, <laughs> God. You can't. You can't. Uh, anyway, oh. we'll, we'll move on from that. We're a very immature bunch. <laughs> <sighs> Tell us about the eight watt. Wait, 12, uh, 12, uh, watts. Twelve watts at fifty k wow. an hour. Twelve watts. That's mm. so many watts. That's I don't believe watts. it. I just so I refuse like, to believe it. I don't say care even what, if you cut the the gains in half. Like that's still significant. I can, yeah. I just not believing it. I'm refuse. I don't care what the data says. I don't care what the wind tunnel I says. Think, I don't like, care what the real wind. There's no way you're getting 12 watts from. So socks. to me, it's, that, it's like why why have we been marketing $500 pulleys that save three watts? If you could buy a pair of $30 socks all of a sudden and save 12 watts, well, so like that, the, it doesn't line up. But like, no, but it, it's maybe not necessarily that it doesn't line up. But we already have been seeing all these things on frames and. To some extent, clothing where where people have been like you know Ridley for example, they had what did they call it? the uh, uh, I think they, they called, had like, the little sticker on or it. whatever it, the sticker with the it looked like sandpaper, but it was clear. Yeah, and then they had like little little raised edges on the sides of the frame yeah, that the, supposedly the did F, the F strip or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F stop or yeah. F strip, something like that. Yeah, but they have this concept is not new. No, it's not. And then, like you look at every pro team and they're all racing in aero socks, which I think there is some benefit to, but like. To just basically take a pair of what look, I mean, I'm sure they're not, but they look like they're defeats. They probably are, just like are defeats. Every, every bike shop in the country has like their own custom bike shop socks with these. And like they just took the logo and made it into triangles and moved it on the back. Like it's not anything revolutionary. Well, I want to know what sock they were comparing this to. Right. Yes. <laughs> I, that, I mean, like, I, like 
your dad's presume tube it's... socks all like scrunched up <laughs> no, and stuck no, around your ankles. Tube socks, they have the ridges the whole way up. <laughs> let's, let's, let's walk away from sort of the, the, how hard it is to believe that this data. Let's I mean, just, I'm sure they're very comfortable. Let's, let's just say, let, let's just assume that Silka's data is valid. Let's just say that they really do provide a real world, legit 12 watts power gain or power savings like that. Let's just say, is that maybe like the best 30 bucks you could spend in terms of cycling performance? Yeah, but it doesn't give you that much. <laughs> I guess here's the thing. I mean, I, I know we are, we are subjected to all sorts of crazy claims. All but you're going to buy socks save. that save this many watts, but then you're like, the person that's buying these socks had their helmet strap is long and flapping in the wind, like immediately negated. Like, <laughs> I don't, but, but that's not really a valid argument because you can say the same out of any, for any yeah. sort of performance. And thing, all right? of these things are all for the most part, pretty silly, unless you're trying to win Tour de France time trials, yes. in which <laughs> case you would be wearing what, shoe covers. What, what, if I, what if I am running late to pick my kid up from school and that 30 seconds is, is the difference between getting Dude, my 12 kid. 12 watts isn't going to save you 30 seconds. That's true. It's probably not going to save me 30 seconds. What if I'm, I'm in the middle of like a six hour ride and I need to save that 30 seconds at the end of the ride? Do it up. Yeah. I mean, I like, yeah, I don't know. Ava? I don't know. If you want um, aero socks, then get aero socks. Yeah. They're probably I, quite nice socks as just socks. That's yeah, that was that was their whole pitch, right? That it's actually just a good sock. Like I, it's, I, you know, I most believe, aero socks are quite bad socks. Yeah, yeah. I uh, believe yeah. Josh said that they are, quote, damn good socks, unquote. Mm. Yeah, they probably are. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The, traditionally, like an aero helmet was said to be the best value for money for getting aero gains, wasn't it? That was sort of where the best bang for your buck was versus you know wheels it certainly was high up yeah, on the everything. list yes yeah and so i mean this seems like a pretty pretty good purchase and 30 dollars isn't isn't crazy money i mean like a lot of high-end socks are sort of in that price point but i do question i, I go back to what zach was saying which is like you know if you rock up with these in a group ride people are gonna probably look at you a little funny like what are you what are you trying to do what do you why are you trying to save what <laughs> yeah, I, socks in a group I ride? Do, like, <laughs> i do wish i understand why silka did this from a from a branding perspective why obviously you want explain people, well, no, what I, the branding I, I just i just mean in the sense of in the sense of making the style of the socks very very obvious in terms of what they are like you're not going to mistake them for some other sock out there just with the, that kind of funky chevron pattern thing on the side i mean it looks like every sock did five years ago when the like everyone had the colorful matching socks like that's what these look like maybe maybe but i think the athletic was yeah six years ahead of the, ahead yeah, of the curve exactly here. they just didn't wind tunnel test them <laughs> Should have. You're talking about the marketing pitch on these. Like, Silka for me is so confusing. I don't understand. Like, oh, so, what so are they? Are they a pump company? Are they a tool company? Are they now a soft goods company? Are they a chain lube company? Like, what are we? What they're, are we selling? Marginal here? gains company, Zach. So if you can get a gain in anything related to cycling, then they're gonna they're gonna go after that yeah. clearly. Yeah. I'm I'm complete with Zach on this one. The the range has become just downright confusing. Yeah. I know they had to expand beyond pumps. I know that wasn't uh, financially sustainable, but their their product range is just it's just all like, over the place. It's just a like a, a you know a spray gun approach. It's but just, isn't that the whole point though? It, I mean, the whole like the branding of it, the marketing of it is is literally just we scoured the industry for places where nobody was making something good enough. For our standards, so we made it, and then the, so we made we printed printed computer one. mount. 
<laughs> so, but but that that's what. But like, that's, that's not the better whole, than anything else. Like it's no better than a K. But I'm or saying something. that's the pitch. Like that's the pitch. Like that's yeah. how they position themselves within the market, and that's why they can charge seven million dollars for a, a pump when my pump outside, which costs thirty five dollars, works, works just fine. As well. And if it dies, I'll buy another one because I can buy twenty of them before I can buy one Silka pump. Like it's the whole it's the whole shtick. Right, like it's it's the I just, the they, I just don't exists. understand it. But as much as we have an issue with it, there clearly is a customer base for this sort of oh, thing. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Or else they yeah. wouldn't bother. There are people do that it. buy everything Silka. Yeah, I just I don't understand it. And like talking about like their five hundred dollar pump versus Kaylee's thirty five dollar pump. Like I've seen more Silka pumps have issues than Kaylee's thirty five dollar specialized pump that will last fifteen years. I mean. That may be because when a Silka pump has an issue, you hear about it. Whereas when my pump has yeah. an issue, I'm like, well, that was expected. And but I I've throw had, it the, out and I I've had the same pump as you have for the same amount of time. And it just keeps working. That's true. It's been going a long time. Yeah. But yeah, to, to, to not uh, only rag on Silka, I will say their chain loop products seem to be living up to living up to being top top level options. I know, Zach, I think you had some some issues with the wax, but... Uh, from the tests I've seen, that stuff is actually pretty I'll, get, I'll pretty give them good. that that was just like first batch. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, um, I'm sort of, yeah, I'm, I'm more and more confused with every like that's, bi-weekly that's launch these socks, that they have. These socks are when they came out. Like, I didn't see them. I wasn't like, ooh, I can save watts. These are cool. They look nice. I was like, this mm. confuses me. Yeah. Like, why is Silka coming out with socks? Yeah. And if we go back to their previous launch, then the, the tools, right? Like, that doesn't fit with the marginal gains right yeah, ethos right that's it's just like let's really... make something more expensive yeah yeah anyway sorry sorry josh i don't mean to to rag on what you do you do some great stuff but yeah we are a little confused well i am but, a little confused but zach you know with you have a lot of customers here that are triathletes you know a lot of them have already placed their orders for the, for the new silica socks i don't think they have really you don't think that customer base would go after that? I mean, it, to me, it's like if you're trying to save watts, you'd just wear shoe covers. Like, why didn't they come out with a matching shoe cover for this? Because supposedly... Like, you have this big shoe clunky shoe with Velcro flapping in the wind. Like, put a shoe cover over it. Or take some kinesio tape and stick them on your ankles. Yeah. Or Band-Aids. I mean, I'm sure they're very comfortable socks that fit well and do everything that a sock Quote, should. damn good socks, unquote. There we go. So Zach, you're saying you're not buying a pair. I'm just confused. That's all. I'm gonna buy Zach a pair for his birthday. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's definitely a market out there for like trolling your friends that think this product is dumb. It's cheap enough to buy it and then just like be like every time they rock up to the group, I like, why aren't, why aren't you wearing my present? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to win the group ride? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Don't you want to win the group ride? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like the, what was the Jiro helmet with the face shield? Like that's faster, but you don't show up to a group right in that. I had one. Not if you have any self-respect. I can't, I can't exactly. say I wore the, I can't say I wore the face shield. Yeah. Yeah. In, in defense of these products though, there is a very large market of racing customers and and to them, seconds do matter. But you know? to me, I know like, it's not the Tour de France, but to it, argue it, it's that a to sport you, that matters to them. To argue that is like these people that are racing are going to wear their team socks from whatever company made their team kit. Yeah, Master maybe Blasters they don't have wear whatever they want. Yeah. No, I, I, they're going to sell these socks. I'm telling you, they're going to sell a bajillion yeah, of these socks. Yeah, they're going to sell a ton of them. Just like idea. they're going to sell a ton of 3D printed 
chain whips. <laughs> and, and I think in general, yes, the the product lines seem pretty scattershot, but they make perfect sense to me because again, like the whole point, like the scattershotness of them is kind of the point because it 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 supports the idea that they're not just creating something to fill a hole in their line. They're creating something because they think they can make the best thing in that category, right? So it, it supports the entire branding of the of the entire company. So yeah, makes makes perfect sense to me. I can't say that most of the stuff uh, hits my my ROI uh, needs. But you are <laughs> but, not the target customer. But no. I am not the target customer, and I fully understand like what they're doing and why. Uh, and 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 you know genuinely they in a couple different categories they make they make class leading stuff right so that's exactly how it should be all right all we right. should move on can we <laughs> we should move on we're going to finish up with the news at this point and we're going to move on to what i've been looking forward to most in this episode which is the grand reveal of our new at least for this week or at least the next few weeks or something uh our new ask a mechanic jingle because on the jingle. last show on the last show we did put a call out for listeners to anyone with any sort of like musical talent or something to toss in or create a ask a mechanic jingle. And, and so far we, we have had two really quite excellent submissions. Whoa. They're so good. So good. So good. <laughs> so we are going to go ahead and roll the tape on this one. Mal, let it rip. Derevers, bearings, disc brakes and rim brakes, sealants and chain loops. Yes. <laughs> yes. That was spectacular. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's not the one I thought you were going to play, but it is no, an excellent no, we, one. No, we had two. You played the other one. We'll use that I other did. one at some point, too. Can yeah, we give a really shout good. out to who made that one? Guy Russo in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for your talents. Guy Russo, you are a legend. <laughs> I, I sent off your, your box of random things from my garage uh, yesterday, I believe. So you should be receiving that maybe even by the time this podcast hits the air. So keep an we eye have out another one. We have another one from a man named John Chenier, and uh, we'll play that one maybe next week. Maybe. I mean, we'll, we you know we we'll can mix them up. Them. We'll mix them up. We got some excellent ones actually. And John also sent over a an instrumental version. He did, and and requested specifically that Dave Rome sing along <laughs> with it. I, so, I, we, I we, saw that email. I was we have, not requested. <laughs> Dave, Dave, just to just to be clear, just to be clear. I know you yeah. didn't have any say in this matter, but we did go ahead and amend your employment contract and make that part of your employment requirement. So oh, yeah. you are going to have mm -hmm. to sing that jingle at some point. I'm going to say before the end of the calendar year, yep. you're going to have to sing that jingle on the air. Well, we've got uh, quarterly I reviews. I can retire on my tool collection. I don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> we've got quarterly reviews uh, end of this week, early next week, Dave. So you know when, when you and I sit down to talk, mm -hmm. that'll mostly be what we talk about. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Dave, about this jingle. Uh, what, so yeah. Dave, about this jingle. Uh, so Dave, about this jingle. You're fired. So, so all of the, all of the two jingles we've received so far are superb. Um, but I do want to reiterate that one, we'll continue to take jingles. More jingles, the merrier. I think. Uh, and two, even if you are a terrible musician, we still want to hear your jingle because it's probably. <laughs> even funnier than the, <laughs> than the ones we've got already. So don't let that stop you. Like you, if you, you know, completely tone deaf, fine. Great. Do it up. Can Can't I, wait. Can, I'm kind of offended that Kaylee's asking for tone deaf people at the same time he's asking me to <laughs> sing something. 
What are you saying? What are you? Uh, he's not, he's not <laughs> saying you're implying to. anything, Dave. Not saying you're I implying anything. I have utmost faith in you, Dave. I have utmost mm. faith. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into Ask a Mechanic now that we have the jingle out of the way. I'm really curious to see how many more jingles we get, by the way, anyway. So to kick off this week's Ask a Mechanic segment, we're going to start off with some tire questions. Uh, this one comes <laughs> from... Well, actually, before we kick off uh, Ask a Mechanic, I should remind people that all these questions, once again, are coming exclusively from our Vela Club members. So if you would like to send in a question for our Ask a Mechanic crew, go ahead and become a member, and we will very likely include your question on the segment. So with that out of the way, first one from Ellery Morgan Thomas uh, says, we are late to the party in Australia, but let's just say you had a lot of bikes and you can't ride any of them at the moment because of lockdown. How do you best manage your tires? Do you pump them up, let the air out, rotate them so they aren't resting on the same spot all the time, or don't worry about it? It also applies to race wheels that don't get used very often, I guess. What do we think here? Zach, want to start, want to start with you? I mean, I would say, like, if they're tubeless and there's a bunch of sealant in them, probably best to keep them rotated every once in a while, just so you don't get the sealant all pooling and drying in a big clump of sealant in the bottom of the tire. Because it does happen for sure. Um, but if they're just normal inner tubes and tires, like, just not touch them. It's not like a, it's not like a car where you've got thousands of pounds or kilos sitting on top of tires that could potentially flat spot the tires after a long period of time. Bikes are pretty light. Uh, relatively speaking, tires, bike tires have a fair bit of air in them, and the tires are quite flexible and malleable. So even if your bike sits for a long period of time, even if those tires go flat, even if that bike sits with the tires flat like that for a long period of time, um, when you pump them back up, they should be just as they were before. Uh, again, in, in, except with the case of sealant, as Zach mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. The, the exception I've seen is when you sit, let a bike sit for a few years and it's got flat tires and the casing can yeah. end up cracking apart. So if, if you know you're putting a bike into like long-term storage, maybe it's like, you know, an old bike that you just want to keep around or a bike that you're, you're saving for some other purpose, then yeah, just maybe inflate the tires every month or two. And, or hang the or bike hang up. Or so, hang it up. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. like eventually the tread's going to, the rubber's going to dry out and crack and not really be safe to ride. Well, hopefully you you all are not in lockdown for that long that that becomes a concern. Mm, it feels like we are, but anyway. Fingers yeah. crossed. All right, next question from Chris Bennett. Uh, this one's regarding tubeless repairs on uh, tubeless repairs on road wheels. Uh, Chris recently used a Dyna plug plug to fix a mid ride puncture at, uh, over the weekend. He's wondering if he should now replace the tire or if he, if he continue or if he can continue to ride it safely. I feel like this is a question that we have been asked a couple times before regarding plugs and and whether or not those can be safely left in the tire. I guess the Dyna plug one's a little bit different because they have this little sharp pointy brass tip on the end um i have always just left those in and yeah. i think our answer here is going to remain the same as it was before as long as your tire is holding air and as long as maybe you've trimmed some of the extra on the outside of the tire it's usually fine um the one thing i will mention is i did have a friend who had a plugged tubeless tire with a dyna plug uh, with a pointy end uh, inside and then later got some other tire, uh, some other puncture that he either wasn't able to plug or didn't have another plug or something. Anyway, he had to put a tube in there. Forgot to remove the, the Dyna plug inside mm. the casing. Thankfully made it home 
but then realized that he had a very pointy little brass bit inside the tire that was up against the tube. So he may not have made it for much longer. So I would say, Chris, you are safe running that plug indefinitely. Unless you're going to put a tube in there later. I would say, my opinion, I would say if it was a road tire, to me, it wouldn't be worth it to keep running it, even if it's holding air. Like, you're running higher pressure, you're ripping around corners at high speeds, like, that where that plug is, the casing is torn. Like, to me, that's not worth it. Um, but on, like, a mountain bike or gravel bike where you're running 20, 30, 40 PSI, like, I've had had multiple plugs in a single tire on my mountain bike for months at a time, and it's been fine. But, yeah, just on the road, I I would probably put a new tire on. Yeah, and a lot more volume. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna come up to a corner on a mountain bike and suddenly have no air in your tire, right? Yeah. It's not gonna surprise you like that. Whereas on the road, it's a potentially hazardous situation. And yeah, I agree. I had four plugs stuck into the same hole uh, on yeah. a rear tire. I mean, there was for, I like, feel like for like three months last it's, summer. It's, Kaylee it's and I destroyed a bunch of XC tires, and we both had like five plugs in our tires. <laughs> <laughs> We're irresponsible with cross-country tires. Yeah. That's basically what it comes down to. All right, next question. This one comes from Christian Miller. Um, he's traveling. He's running Rene Hurst tires on his gravel bike. Wants to top up his sealant. The, only t- uh, the tires were originally set up with Panerazor sealant, but he only has orange seal available for a top-up. He's wondering, can he mix sealants, or does he need to clean out and remount the tires with just orange seal? How can you tell if sealants are mixable? So many tire questions. It's all tire questions all the time. It's only the third one. Only the third one. Um, I mean, oh, yeah, go for it. I went ahead and reached out to Chris Curry from No Tubes to answer this one because, again, this is another question that we get every now and then from time to time. Uh, And rather than just kind of go with our anecdotal experience, I got his official word. He says, quote, mixing brands of sealant isn't something we generally recommend because you can't be sure what you all have going on in there when you start combining, which makes it tough to predict behavior. Given all the testing we've done with our own specific formulas, we know how significant a difference can be made just by varying something like the amount of a particulate relative to liquid. So mixing introduces more variables than you might think. That said, latex-based sealants usually have more in common with each other than they do with non-latex-based sealants. So mixing those is usually less risky than combining a latex sealant with something non-latex, but it's still tough to estimate the effectiveness of a mix, unquote. So essentially what he's saying is that if you have multiple types of latex or multiple makes and models of latex sealant, your tire is probably not going to explode. You're not going to have some like some like weird chemistry experiment inside your tires, but it might not work great. I mean, I'm not that familiar with the pan racer stuff, um, but I would think like if you're going on a trip and your tires don't have sealant anymore because it's dried up, even if you're not using the same sealant, having some sealant in your tires is better than no sealant. So if all you have available is orange seal, I would probably just do that. Like having something in there is better than nothing. Yeah. I, I haven't used Panerasa sealant, but I'd say orange seal is going to be better. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> just knowing that orange seal is better than most sealants out there. So yeah, you could also just unseat the tire, take out the Panerasa and put in the better sealant. And I guess it also should be mentioned too that most bicycle tire sealants that are out on the market are latex based. I only know of one off the top of my head that is not latex-based, and or I guess two. There's I guess a there's few. slime, yeah. slime, uh, finish line. Uh, at least finish line's old formula anyway was not latex-based. I'm not really sure what else is out Basically there. Basically, the veggie, ones that veggie are latex from a Fito Mariposa. Yeah, I was gonna say the vegetable one. Yeah, 
Um, just, there's also, I think Bontrager briefly did a latex ray one, maybe. Point being, maybe. most of them are still latex based. Yeah. But either way, yep. in this case, starting with Pan Eraser and going with Orange Seal, if you have to mix them, you probably can and it'll be okay. It's just not ideal. All right. Wait, is Pan Eraser the one that has like walnuts Walnut in it or something? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Weird. Eco friendly. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on to drivetrain issues. This one comes from Sebastian Thorman. This is a two-part question. First, is there a way to minimize the noise on a one-by gravel bike when in either end of the gear range? The short 425 mil chainstays that he has, he thinks are to blame as he has no other such issues on his mountain bike. Uh, he has a SRAM Red 1132 11-speed cassette, a SRAM Red 11-speed chain, and an Ingrid 42-tooth chain ring. I mean, I would say with one by inherently, you're always going to have some chain noise on the extremes just because it's putting the chain at such an angle. Um, but I would also like, you can get them pretty quiet. So I would also make sure things like hangers aligned and chain length is good and pulleys aren't worn out or something like that. Like go through and make sure everything else is how it should be. And that like the crank doesn't have a weird spacer set up and the chain ring shifted to one side more than it should be. Have you found that some chains run quieter than others do? Yeah, for sure. Some brands run quieter than others. Yeah, we, I think we've talked about that a few few times. Chain lube as well will will ex, um I guess exaggerate the effect as well. So you could find a a chain lube that runs quieter, and that'll make a pretty big difference, I'd imagine. So um, especially if riding off road, one that stays clean doesn't get gritty. It'll yeah something. I mean yeah, there's a a positive word for silka. Their, their chain loops are qu- rather quiet, uh, but yeah, something wax based would would probably um would probably do quite well. Like not actual submersion wax, but like a, a drip on wax loop will probably actually help quieten that down. Yeah, I mean, because it's a one by, but he's only running an eleven thirty two, so it's not like some it's not crazy like extreme cassette where there's going to be like yeah, it shouldn't be that loud. All right, second part of the question, uh, Sebastian would also like to upgrade his brakes. Currently running SRAM, uh, SRAM Rival hydraulic calipers, uh, flat mount, and he's considering upgrading them. The three options that he that he's considering are uh, SRAM S900s, but mainly for the color, uh, Hope RX4 Pluses, or Trick Stuff C21. They should all be compatible to the Red 22 hydro levers. Do we have any experience with any of them, and would you perhaps pick something completely different? He knows that it's not... It's not necessarily the biggest improvement in stopping power from any of these, but the rival calipers need changing anyway. And the three that he's mentioned intrigue me and would look very nice on his bike. Yeah, I mean, none of them I wouldn't say are like going to drastically change the braking performance. But like the S900, that's the same as the SRAM, the red first-gen axis, and ETAP, like the monoblock caliper. So that's the same as that. And you probably don't want that because they've since moved on to have a brake with caliper with more more clearance, more power. So like whether the the newer two-piece uh, red or force axis flat mount calipers, or I've set up a couple of bikes with the Hope ones. They seem pretty cool. They're hard, they're hard to set up. That's, that's sort of my understanding with them is they're, they're fiddly to set up the Hope. I mean, I th- thought it was pretty standard. Do a bleed. Okay. Put the pads in and adjust things. Was, wasn't really tight tolerance? No, I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's no more than anything else. Okay. But like, like, let's say you get the Hope ones. The only downside I would see there is like you're on a trip or something. Finding brake pads is going to be more difficult than every bike shop is going to have SRAM pads. Yeah, trick stuff I haven't used, but yeah, I've I've only heard good stuff about their about uh, 
about trick stuff brakes. So I know uh, some of the pink bike guys swear about them. Yeah, same. I would almost argue, well, I almost wonder too, instead of upgrading calipers, I mean, I know you, that you said that your rival calipers need to be replaced anyway. I, I don't know why that is, but um, whichever way you go with, one thing that I would pay a lot of attention to is the pads that you're going to use because I would almost argue that those will make a bigger difference than whatever caliper you stick on there. Yeah, I'd be interested why the current calipers need replaced. Usually those don't just die. Yeah, and you can rebuild them as well. All right, moving on. Robert Hest, uh, should folks on Team Submersion Chain Wax be expected to instruct shops not to apply any drip lube when their bikes are in for service? My hours of detailed drivetrain degreasing were spoiled when my local shop applied drip lube to my chain in the process of straightening a bent hanger and adjusting my rear derailleur. Now my drivetrain is black with oily wax and needs to be stripped again. Was I in the wrong for neglecting to tell them not to lube the chain? I didn't think to mention it since the bike was just in for a simple hanger straightening. I mean, I would say if you're very particular about what, whether it's lubes or tire sealant or whatever it is, like I would let the shop know so that things don't get mixed. I would also, in your defense, say the shop mechanic should have noticed that it looked like wax and not mixed, but as team actual lube and not submersion wax, <laughs> he was probably working on your bike. Lube and tube, team lube and Working tube. on your bike, adjusting the hanger and running through the gears and the chain was probably dry and squeaking. So he's like, I'm going to do this guy a favor and put some lube on this chain. Yeah. <laughs> the intentions yeah. were let, good. Let the shop know. I just, yeah. All I heard there was a reason to be tomb, team lube and tube. That's all I heard. <laughs> that's all. That's the whole question. I mean, like 99.9% .9 of bike shops in the world are going to use normal oil-based lube. So if mm -hmm. you do not want them to mix, let them know what chain lube you were using or do not, or tell them not to lube your chain. I, I feel like this is analogous to any time I've taken a car in to have the oil change or something like that. If I know that they are going to, say, top off the windshield washer fluid as part of that, I usually tell the service rider not to do that because I use Raynex windshield washer fluid. Um, I, so I usually, I, I guess, to, in, in my opinion, I think it is probably on me to let the service rider know that I'm using a particular product and not to mix. I'm also going to go out on a limb here. If you're going to go through the, all the process of stripping a chain, using a crock pot, submerging it, doing the whole process to wax your chain, you should also know how to straighten a derailleur hanger. What if you don't have a derailleur <laughs> hanger tool? Then buy one. You bought a crock pot. <laughs> you can buy a crock pot for like $4. And a parts washer. You don't have to use a parts washer. You can use a mason jar and, and some degreaser. You understand what I'm saying, though. Straightening a hanger is a very simple adjustment. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but they're, they're, they're different things. I mean, yeah, yeah, the one only requires you to know how to use a mass link. The other one is is getting into the, the realm of a mechanic. Yeah. But um, what I would say is this extends to really, like what James said, like tie sealing as well, chain lube. Uh, I don't think it's just exclusive to if you're uh, team submersion waxing as well. Like I think if you're using like, uh, you know, uh, uh, any wax product, for example, you should tell the shop that, you know, don't worry about leaving the chain. I'll, I'll do it. Um, but uh, it also extends like, you know, some people have funky like hood setups and stuff where yeah. you, know, you take like, it to a shop and you're like, what the, you know, these hoods are sh like are wrong. So you adjust them and the person's like, Oh, I had that done by a bike fitter. Tell the shop, you know, if, if something, if something, you know, is a little wonky, a little weird, let the shop know. You know, some people yeah, run I mean, their saddles off to the side purposely, but a shop's going to straighten that for you. Yeah. Shops shouldn't also just go changing your position like that. They do, but they shouldn't. Did like, Dave Rohn just shouldn't. describe immersion waxing as wonky and weird? I think so. No. I think he did. <laughs> no, I said I think saddle. that was an admission of guilt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Words <laughs> into my mouth. <laughs> 
All right, moving oh, on. Oh man, the crock crock pot association of the world is going to be so mad at me. <laughs> indeed, indeed, your your membership is going to be revoked. It's all wonky and weird now. C- can I can I go on a small tangent? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Do we have an option? <laughs> You've never asked it's, for permission before. <laughs> Must be important. It's related. It's related. So I don't live near Zach anymore, which makes me sad in my soul, but also sad in my bicycle. And I need to straighten my derailleur hanger. What derailleur hanger should I buy, Dave? From derailleur hanger tool. Yeah, yeah. I need to straighten it uh, out. I'm, I'm going to be working all, on a. I'm updating my mosaic. Normally, but yeah. Normally, I bring this to Zach's shop and say, Zach, will you please fix this for me? Did you and bend it on your that. mosaic with the not replaceable hanger? No, it's it's on it's my uh, stumpy, and it's just like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit out. So I'm just going to try to bend it back. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna update a feature soon, but it really depends on your price point. But uh. I'm actually being pleasantly surprised by the Abbey Bike Tools copy out of China, which is the ZTTO, which is like 60 US bucks. It looks like an Abbey Bike Tools hanger tool. It's not as well built. It is pretty light, so it's probably not going to withstand too much force, but I will uh, probably use this like once a year. Yeah. So, so um, currently my covered. method is to stick an Allen key in it and try to bend it back yeah, with my hands. It. So That sounds like yeah. a bad idea, Kaylee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so this is, uh, ZTTO seems to be pretty good. Um, and yeah, I'd actually choose it as like a travel hanger tool as well because it's very light. Um, All right. Yeah. And Kaylee, if you, yeah, for more regular use, spend a bit more. Kaylee, I would also advise against just grabbing the whole derailleur and using that as leverage on the hanger because I do yeah. know of people who have just snapped their derailleur bodies in half doing that. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I, I have stopped myself from doing that thus far, but also it needs to be straightened. So I need to figure this out. There, Zach there are, is so far away. And then, yeah, I'll keep working on a feature. There are bike shops in Durango, you know. Yeah, bike shops, though. Ah, it's like I have to take it all the way in. I have to put it on the car. I got to bring it there. I, I'm just going to buy the tool. You, you've been spoiled with, you, with your service at Zach's shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where I just, like, finish a bike ride and go to his shop, and he fixes it for me immediately. <laughs> I don't have that anymore. Clearly. Although mountain bike, specialist here, <clears throat> mountain bike specialist here in Durango, I was in the other day. And I is an old friend of mine that works there, so maybe we can get similar treatment. Hmm. All right, there you go. There you go. Either that, or Zach needs to move to Durango, or you need to move back here. I have advocated for this for some time, and uh, Zach doesn't want to move to Durango because well, he, it turns he, out he did just buy a house a, in Netherlands. There's not enough rich people in Durango to no. fund Zach's shop. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I was going to say though, I don't know what the conclusion was of what tool you should buy, but the next time you're here, I have multiple. Hanger tools. I'll just give you one. Oh yeah, that's cheaper than my. That's definitely <laughs> cheaper than my advice. I've got a park one that I never use. You can have it. Sold. I'll be there Deal. for the field test in like a week and a half. I cannot wait to see what Kaylee ends up doing with that derailleur hanger. He knows tool. how to. <laughs> he knows how to work on bikes better than he makes it out to be. <laughs> the hammer. All right. That's that. I mean, that's that is that's true and also false because I know how to work on bikes when Zach is like ten feet away from me and I go, I don't know. When you have your safety net. I have a safety net. I, I mean, I like, need he's to work not on taking a crescent net. wrench to his hanger yet. <laughs> that you know of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got a friend who listens to this podcast who uh, showed me a photo of his derailleur hanger tool at home. And don't do this, but it's uh, it's like a piece of like steel bar. And oh, he I've uses seen. like C-clamps, clamps for the frame. <laughs> and then it's like, there's like at least two or three C-clamps. I don't even know how it worked. I'm sure he made the <laughs> hanger worse. Um <laughs> But yeah, anyway, there's 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 options that that uh, I've definitely you know, seen you can get around without buying them. Are you, yeah. Are you saying I should just get creative, Dave? Is that what you're saying? 
You could just, yeah, use use your hammer, but use just, it as an alignment gauge just and then hit it with another hammer. Stick your three-way in the trailer and just wrench no, on it. No, we just told him No, not he's to already that. suggested that. We just that. told him not to oh, do yeah. that. His, yeah. My, my his, triangle square, you ex- mean? Exactly. That's yes, what I was your triangle say. square. Yes. Oh, yeah. We haven't heard you say that in quite a while. Did you ever get a hold of your of your old uh, no, shop employee friend I, who, like, who coined I could, that? I couldn't, I couldn't track him down. I'm like, a, I sent my message on Facebook, but yeah. Triangle square. That's kicking it old. That 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 you will have to have listened to the to this podcast for some time to understand what on earth I'm talking about there. And I'm not going to explain it any further. So you have to go back and listen to every single episode now if you don't know what I'm talking about. I don't even own one of these. <laughs> oh yeah, there isn't one on there, is there? No. No. Oh, you hate those. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Rob Weirsbowski uh, is asking. Oh, it, Rob. Rob is saying most listed torque values are for maximum torque. But he's guessing that almost everyone just torques right up to that listed number. Are there any situations where you routinely torque to less than the listed value on the part? Dave shaking and said yes. Yep. Um, well, I used to work with BMC and um, BMC frames, the seat cluster, the integrated seat cluster that they oh, used to the use. Oh, the good old SLC01. Um, the, the, twin, the twin bolts. It's uh-huh. like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Uh, those were very much don't talk to the maximum because it turns out the maximum was actually the maximum. So I have a fun story about an old BMC. I'm going to go off on my own tangent now. Tangents. So uh, not too long after my now wife of nearly 10 years and I started uh, started dating, uh, I can't remember exactly why, but she needed to borrow my road bike for whatever reason. And it was one of those old BMC... uh, Pro machines, the SLC01 with the with a molded in carbon pseudo seat collar that had very, very specific torque specs. I think it was like it was like five and eight. Five, was it five and eight or five and three? It was something like that. Oh yeah, three and five and then five and eight. I think, whatever whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever it was. Her yeah. friend that she was riding with that day, uh, she needed to adjust the saddle a little bit, and he had a BMC T machine, which had an aluminum an aluminum cluster there, not carbon. And he went ahead and torqued his frame. He, he went ahead and torqued my frame mm-hmm. to not the correct specs and Perfect. cracked my frame. Broke my I, And I know brand- what that crack looks like. Yes, yep. and sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Broke my nearly yep. brand new BMC uh, Team Machine SLC01 carbon frame. Thank you, Andrew Bagnato. Uh, and I dare say my, my wife and I still, like I said, we're, we're married now, have been married for a long time. I didn't hold it against mm. her. Andrew, though, you're forever dead to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, going, going back to the question, if, it, if the torque specs has max such and such number, then typically I go under. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things have a range too. Like, like say a Shimano crank set, they have a sticker on it that says this between this and that number is what our minimum and our maximum is. So yeah. I'd shoot for probably somewhere in the middle. Um, yeah. The other thing yeah, to consider too is a lot of times the the max torque spec that you're looking at on one I mean that that part that you're that you're torquing down is mounting to another part and the maximum torque values for those two parts may not be the same. Yeah. Like so a, let's say you have a stem that is listed at like eight newton meters or something like that, and it's getting installed on a carbon steer tube that has a prescribed max torque of like five, something like that it is always important to go with the lesser of the two values. Yeah, I mean, this is where I, I understand why things have torque values and things are made very high tolerance and nice light carbon fiber. But things like contact points, like stems, 
handlebars, seat posts that companies know consumers are going to get out on the road and adjust with the multi-tool should be more flexible in that torque spec. Yeah. And I think my understanding is brands have learned lessons in this area, like the the seat post bolts. My understanding is like a lot of the, you know, the the integrated wedge clamps, for example, they might yep. say six, but I know a lot of those can actually go up to about nine or 10 before the frame fails. And if you're doing one, like if you're doing a four millimeter hex bolt up to 10 unimeters, you, you, you shouldn't be touching your bike. Those types um, of seat posts, I've seen a number of them at the torque spec, put a nice little rectangle shape in the seat post. The frame's totally fine, but the seat yeah. posts... Well, that's not, not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do know a lot of brands are now designing in redundancy talk into them um, yeah. for this I very mean, reason. So Another yeah. one that I'm just thinking, like through axles, almost every through axle, if it doesn't have a lever, has a torque value mm-hmm. printed on it. And like yep. every person is going to use a multi-tool or a wrench or the little lever that is on a through axle. No one uses a torque wrench for that. I, I would say um, Ibis has the perfect advice here, which is do your through axle up with a multi-tool and that's the right torque. So you yeah. can do it on the trail. Yeah, which is fair. Yeah. What Good if advice. I carry What if I carry a foot-long Allen key with me everywhere? Do it up with that. Yeah. Well, is that weird and wonky? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question of the episode before we wrap up. Dave, this one's got you written all over it. This one comes from Vela Club member Niels Heeren. This one's and actually he specifically calls you out on this question um what is this should and i know i know what is the strategy if one has a number of bikes from over three decades and wanted to build a solid toolkit over time for bearing installation and maintenance such as presses and tools and guides for reaming and facing chasing etc um the idea here is modularity wants to gradually add to the kit and avoid those purchases that one can easily get around through improvisation but still achieve impeccable results while maybe requiring a little more time compared to using only the finest dedicated tools on the market. And yes, this can be a recommendation where you name a couple of brands and their products. It's right, a very Dave, loaded go. question. Well, I'd say my Instagram page isn't probably gonna, isn't going to be much help here if you're not no. after the finest tools. Nope. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a tricky one. But yeah, bearings is is one of those categories that's to be honest, there's no one perfect solution. It'll it'll take, I typically would say for personal bikes, I would add the bearing tools as you need them suited to the products you're working on because there's no one shot perfect tool that will work across everything. So, uh, so for example, for hubs, you can start with like a real basic, say wheels manufacturing, make a very good sort of general hub kit, um, which will do most hubs be prepared to add in extra drifts or extra pullers or whatever as you go because it's not going to be the perfect solution for everything. Um, but yeah, a good set of pin punches and a basic wheels manufacturing kit will be a good start for, say, working on hubs as one example. But then, yeah, you start talking about bottom brackets and then that's a whole different story. And Especially for 30 years of bikes. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. broad range. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say 30 years of bikes, I mean, something like, I, I normally don't suggest as much, but starting with like a, a basic toolkit from one of the main brands, like a Feedback Sports or a Pedro's or a, a Park Tool, starting with one of their mid-range kits, you're probably actually going to end up using most of the tools out of that kit. Um, and that'll give you a really good foundation. Um, or you can look at what's in those kits and copy them and buy what you want from those same brands as you need it. Uh, but yeah, it's those kits exist for a reason and they are designed with working on a wide range of bikes in mind um, and they typically don't 
these days at least they don't have much redundancy in them so um yeah any of the, the top brands will give you a pretty clear idea of what tools you should start with zach anything to add from your end i mean i would think that yeah i would agree like have a whether yeah whether it's a pre-made kit or kind of a basic assortment of tools to work on most general bike things and then from there i mean i would say it kind of depends on how much you're doing like if if the 30 year old bike is only getting ridden once every three months, then you probably aren't going to be overhauling the bottom bracket on that very often. But I would just say like, unless you just want to buy everything up front, I would just buy the tools as you need them. Like, okay, now this weekend, my project is I'm going to do X, Y on my bike and I need this tool for it. So then I would buy those tools. Um, just kind of buy them as you need them. That's it. And then slowly fill in and have a large toolkit. And again, don't look at Dave's Instagram account. Yeah. I mean, but like I, there's a lot of tools that you could buy that you probably don't need. Like you probably don't need facing and chasing tools, like something like that. You're going to do maybe once or twice every once in a while, like just pay a shop that already has those tools to do that rather than spending $500 to get those. Right. Because I know you did specifically mention things like facing and chasing and pressing, um, bearing presses and that sort of thing. Relatively speaking, those are pretty inexpensive. You can usually get pretty decent ones for a couple hundred bucks. Um, but as far as cutting tools go, that's when things start getting very expensive. And unless you're doing those sorts of jobs on a very regular basis, then it's almost never worthwhile economically to buy them. Yeah. 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 On, on the pressing side of things, uh, be prepared probably to buy two presses. So you need one with a really small diameter rod for, for hubs and small bearings, and then one with a, a larger, uh, stiffer cross section that, that won't flex for higher torques for, for bottom brackets and headsets. Um, so yeah, so two, two very different presses is probably on the cards. If you're looking to work across a range of bikes and that should cover pretty much all your bearing and cup pressing needs. Yeah. And most of those, uh, most of those press sets, I would say there, those companies are pretty good about adding, um, adding inserts as needed, depending on things that come out, like, you know, different bearing sizes and that sort of thing. Um, so usually the companies that make those presses are pretty good about having them not go obsolete pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of them are interchangeable, right? So like I use a lot of like wheels manufacturing drifts with my, with an Abbey bike tools press and vice versa, or, um, you know, I've got enduro presses as well. And I, I use different brands drifts with that. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, they're not, they're not too different. So yeah, you can sort of mix and match as you, as you want and pick up tools as you go. Right, because those, I think they're called Acme threads. Those Acme threaded rods are not, they're usually not made by those bike companies. They're just bought off the shelf because that would be a pretty silly thing to make in-house. And those are, you, those are basically a standard diameter, which is why those drifts are interchangeable typically. Yeah, and I would say to just like think about how often you're going to be doing a job versus how much the tool costs. Like having a big tool kit is great, but if you're spending hundreds of dollars that you don't need to on a tool that you use, once or twice, like let's say you're building a new bike up, you don't need to go buy a crown race setter to it, to put a crown race on a fork. When and you, you just shattered Dave's entire. I'm so offended. Do you I mean, think like, my tool collection would exist with this logic. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it. Tools are like boats. It's you want to you want to have friends with the tools. You don't want to have one yourself. That's the <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> That's what I've done, and it's worked quite well until right now when I need a. Uh, Except now, when you live six hours away from your friend yeah. who has all the tools and knows how to use them. So, I, don't, well, I don't agree that tools like boats, because boats, like, you've got the two happiest days of boat ownership of the day you buy it and the day you sell it. <laughs> but I'm quite happy with all my tools. So I think I'd be sad when I sell them. 
Uh, all right. We're just well, different people, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> just different people. Different people. All right. On that note, we are going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to this show, please do so. If you haven't given us a rating and review on iTunes, definitely go ahead and do that. As we've said before, please, five stars only. Even if you want to leave a scathing review of Bailey, specifically, the hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't already joined our Velo Club membership program, as I mentioned earlier, please consider doing so because it does directly support the work that we do here. Uh, and if you haven't told your friends about Nerd Alert, definitely do that because we love having more people listen to Nerd Alert. And with that, we will say goodbye until next week. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.